In this episode, we're going to explore a tool for understanding and improving communication dynamics in meetings. If you want a formula to help you know what to say and when to say it, this one's for you. We're going to use this model to help you identify patterns in your meeting conversations and then balance them out. We're going to give you a chance to apply this model using a classic scene from the movie Apollo 13. I'm your host, Lauren Green, meeting coach and facilitation trainer, here to help you unsuck your meetings one episode at a time. I've helped hundreds of professionals and organizations through leading inclusive, engaging, and productive meetings. And now I'm offering this podcast to help you do the same. Think of this podcast as an ongoing workshop, where each time you tune in, you'll get a bite-sized nugget of knowledge you can apply right away. If you lead meetings or might someday, you're in the right place. Let's make your meetings work. Welcome back, meeting makers. If you haven't listened to episode five, give it a listen and then come back to this one. Episode five goes over verbal tools that you can use to help make your meetings run smoother. In this episode, we're going to go over what's called conversation tracking or reading the room. So why might you want to read the room? Well, it's simple. Tracking the conversation helps you know what type of question or comment will help best keep the meeting moving forward. For the math nerds out there, we're going to give you a super simple formula in the form of a model, the Cantor model to be exact. Special shout out to my colleague in crime, Brian Tarallo, the managing director of Lizardbrain, who first exposed me to the Cantor model. We've linked to Brian's YouTube video on reading the room in the description. And if you like this episode, be sure to check that out. Let's start by exploring its history and background. The Cantor model is named after its creator, William R. Cantor, who was a renowned organizational psychologist. Cantor was passionate about understanding and improving communication in workplace settings. He believed that effective communication was at the heart of successful organizations, and that it was not just about what was being said, but how it was being said and received by others. In the 1970s, Cantor developed a model that aimed to decode the intricate social dynamics present in any group or meeting. His model emphasized the importance of nonverbal communication, body language, and group behavior as essential components of understanding group dynamics. Cantor's work laid the foundation for what we now know as the Cantor model. Now that we have some historical context, let's get into the nitty-gritty of the Cantor model and how it can be used effectively in a meeting. The Cantor model is a framework that helps individuals assess and interpret the dynamics of a group or a room. It's based on the idea that every interaction has both content and process. The content is what people say, while the process encompasses how it is being said and received. In short, the Cantor model helps you read the room. There are four key dimensions in the Cantor model, each with its own set of behaviors. First, moves. In a move, someone takes the lead in the conversation by offering a new topic, idea, or action. Those who consistently initiate often take on leadership roles within the group. Next, follows. In a follow, someone agrees with or supports what's already happening in the discussion. They are crucial for the group's stability and continuity. 
they may often be seen as peacemakers or harmonizers. Next, opposes. In an oppose, participants actively challenge or resist the group's direction. Their role can be valuable in preventing group think. Lastly, bystands. In a bystand, individuals may express disagreement, disinterest, or discomfort. They may also present questions or data. A bystand is sort of like a catch-all for everything else. Recognizing these moves can help address underlying issues. So now that you know the basics, moves, follows, opposes, and bystands, these are the ingredients of the conversation cake. And when combined, patterns in these ingredients can form different types of meeting dynamics. To use the Cantor model for reading the room, you need to do two things. First, get really good at seeing patterns. And second, use those patterns to bring in the missing ingredient so you have a more balanced cake. Put simply, if you have too much egg, your cake might boil over the edge. And if you have too much flour, your cake will turn out too dry. You need to figure out which ingredient is missing and bring it through by asking questions or offering ideas. I've either confused you or I've made you crave a cake. Either way, let's keep going. I promise it will all start to make sense. So here's the first pattern we want you to consider. If you notice a lot of moves, what could you assume is going on in that meeting? If you guessed brainstorming, awesome. It could be a brainstorming session. But if you see a lot of moves, aka ideas, being presented, but you know that this is supposed to be a decision-making meeting, that may mean the group needs to break this pattern through inviting in either a bystand, a pose, or a follow, as in the thing that's missing. Ask yourself, what would a bystand behavior look like? Perhaps asking a question like, well, how might we carry out that idea? Or who has seen that before? Now ask yourself, what would an oppose look like? It could look like simply disagreeing or perhaps inviting the question, does anyone disagree? And lastly, what might a follow look like? Of course, it could look like simply agreeing with one of the ideas, but it could also look like asking the question, who agrees with something we've brought up so far, or adding on to somebody else's idea. Let's look at another pattern. Suppose you noticed move, oppose, move, oppose, move, oppose. What could you assume might be going on during this meeting? If you guessed arguing, that could be the case. To break this pattern, what would we need to bring in? If you answered bystand or follow, that's correct. In other words, the things that are missing. What could a bystand look like in this situation? Bringing in a bystand could mean asking questions like, well, what are the benefits of this idea? Or how would this align with what we're already doing? Inviting questions like these encourage participants to see positives and connections that might be being overlooked. And finally, what might a follow look like? Of course, you could simply agree with one of the moves, or you could ask the group, who agrees with what so-and-so just said. Bonus points if you encourage the group to build on ideas rather than choose between two. You can do this by using a question such as, well, how could we do both? 
I've got two more patterns for you. If I said, move, follow, 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 what might be happening there? It could be that someone in power has invited a move and nobody wants to oppose them. Another term for this that we've explored earlier in the season is groupthink. That doesn't mean that the move is a bad one, but without any dissent or just conversation, there's no room to refine it into something even better. So what's missing here? Clearly, we need to invite in some opposition, potentially some bystanding, and definitely more moves. Opposition could look like dissent, but if you don't want to rock the boat, you could simply ask, what other ideas are out there? That question invites another move, another possibility. Lastly, how might we invite in a bystand? It might be important for the group to consider more data, so we could ask the question, what do we need to consider about this idea, or even who might be impacted by this idea? I've got one more for you. Move, bystand, bystand, bystand. Potentially, this group is simply adding data or adding questions, but not really moving forward in any way. And it could be that this is an example of the group getting stuck in what's called analysis paralysis. What we need here is to invite more moves. What other ideas do we have? We could also invite in some opposition by asking who disagrees or some follows by asking who agrees. At this point, you probably get the idea that this is all about capturing what you're noticing about the conversation and inviting in what might be missing. And you should really be thanking Cantor and maybe me because with this model, you will never be bored in a meeting again. You can occupy yourself by grabbing a sheet of paper and instead of simply disengaging, start writing down the patterns that you're noticing. This is a great way to stay engaged and see how the meeting flow can be improved. Now, if you get really good with Cantor, you can start to observe whether certain individuals tend to have the same patterns. In other words, is someone in your meeting always the one with a new move or idea? Is someone always the naysayer? Is someone always adding data but not really seeming to move the conversation forward? Is someone always the follower? Noticing these patterns should never be thought of as judgments, and it's probably best if you keep them to yourself. But noticing patterns can help you get better at not only predicting the conversation, but knowing how to help it move forward. Even better is when you're the meeting facilitator or leader, you can use specific processes and methods to prevent patterns from ever occurring in the first place. When you read the room effectively, you're better equipped to lead, influence, and contribute positively to any meeting or professional conversation. Team retreats, strategic planning offsites, or problem-solving meetings can benefit from having a third-party, neutral facilitator who is focused on the process of the meeting rather than the content. Our team of expert facilitators takes the burden of designing your meeting and navigating group dynamics off your plate so you can participate, offer your ideas, and support the group in carrying the action forward. Working with us as your expert facilitators will help you to maximize the potential of your team to do their best work, create space for innovation and forward thinking, and host annual retreats that will have a lasting impact even after you get back to the office. If you love this podcast and want to work with us as your expert team, 
Visit makemeetings.work forward slash contact to partner with us and make your meetings work. Now let's play a little Cantor trivia. Let's see how accurately you can guess which part of the Cantor model we're in. In the movie Apollo 13, directed by Ron Howard and based on the true story of the ill-fated Apollo 13 mission, astronauts Jim Lovell, played by Tom Hanks, Fred Hayes, played by Bill Paxton, and Jack Swigert, played by Kevin Bacon, are on a routine lunar mission when a critical oxygen tank in their spacecraft explodes. This explosion sets off a chain of life-threatening failures, including the loss of electrical power and then a critical drop in cabin oxygen levels. As alarms blare and the astronauts scramble to contain the crisis, Mission Control in Houston, led by flight director Gene Kranz, played by Ed Harris, is faced with the daunting task of guiding the crew safely back to Earth against all the odds. And this sets the stage for one of the most intense and suspenseful moments in cinematic history. From this moment on, we are improvising a new mission. How do we get our people home? They are here. We turn them around, straight back, yes. direct abort. Okay, meeting makers, if you've started to apply the Cantor model, you know that Gene has just presented the mission to get the astronauts home safely. In Cantor terms, we'd call that a move. What happened after that was a bunch of arguing. In other words, a lot of oppose. See what we're doing? Let's keep going. Track the conversation and identify the model. Move, oppose, follow, bystand. No, sir, no, sir. We get them on a free return trajectory. It's the option with the fewest question marks for safety. So what was that? If you guessed move, you're right. Let's keep going. I agree with Jerry. Use the moon's gravity, slingshot them around. That's an easy one. He's agreeing. We'd call that a follow. No, the LEM will not support three guys for that amount of time. It barely holds I mean, we've got to do a direct abort. We do an about face. We bring the guys right home right now. Can you guess that one? Yeah, it was an oppose. But he added more data and another idea. So it's an oppose plus a bystand followed by a new move. Let's continue. Get him back soon. No, Absolutely. We don't even know if the Odyssey's engine's even working, and if there's been serious damage to this spacecraft. They blow up and they die. That is not the argument. We're talking about time, not whether or not these guys are. I'm not going to sugarcoat this for you. Let's hold it down. Let's hold it down, people. There was a brief follow there before more data was added. So that's a bystand followed by more opposing. Let's play a little bit more. If you're not driving, Grab a sheet of paper and capture what you hear in Cantor terms. The only engine we've got with enough power for a direct abort is the SPS on the service module. What Lovell has told us, it could have been damaged in an explosion. So let's consider that engine dead. We like that thing up, could blow the whole works. It's just too risky. We're not going to take that chance. In fact, the only thing the command module is good for is re-entry, so that leaves us with the LEM, which means free return trajectory. Once we get the guys around the moon, we'll fire up the LEM engine, make a long burn, pick up some speed, Get them home as quick as we can. Gene, I'm wondering what the, what the Grumman guys think about this. We can't make any guarantees. We designed the limb to land on the moon. Not fire the engine out there for course correction. Well, unfortunately, we're not landing on the moon, are we? I don't care what anything was designed to do. I care about what it can do. So let's get to work. Let's lay it out, okay? 
This one starts with a lot of bystanding. When that happens in meetings, it can sometimes be thought of as analysis paralysis. Remember, the way out of a pattern is by bringing in what is missing. That's when you hear Gene come in and give an oppose by saying, that engine's dead and we're not going to take that chance. Then he offers a move with an explanation about how they're going to make that happen. Hopefully, you've picked up the bystand that was asked when one of the characters says, I wonder what the Grumman guys think about this. Now let's fast forward a bit. So you're telling me you can only give our guys 45 hours? That brings them to about there. Gentlemen, that's not acceptable. Whoa, whoa, guys. Power is everything. Power is everything. What do you mean? Without it, they don't talk to us. They don't correct their trajectory. They don't turn the heat shield around. We got to turn everything off now. They're not going to make it to re-entry. What do you mean, everything? With everything on, the LEM draws 60 amps. At that rate, in 16 hours, the batteries are dead, not 45. And so's the crew. We got to get them down to 12 amps. You can't run a vacuum cleaner on 12 amps, John. You have to turn off the radars, cabin heater, instrument displays, the guidance computer, the whole smack. Whoa, guidance computer? What if they need to do another burn? Gene, they won't even know which way they're pointed. The more time we talk down here, the more juice they waste up there. I've been looking at the data for the past hour. That's the deal? That's the deal. Okay, John. Then if we finish the burn, we'll power down the limb. All right. After Gene says, 45 hours is not acceptable, an engineer makes a move by saying, we have to turn everything off now, followed by bystanding data that backs up his move. Up until this point, there's one of the canter elements we haven't heard much of yet. Have you noticed what that is? If you guessed follow, you're getting the hang of things. Someone needs to bolster someone's move in order to keep the momentum going forward. After some opposition and bystanding, Gene offers a follow. Okay, John, the minute we finish the burn, we power down the LEM. Understanding the Cantor model's four key dimensions, moves, follows, opposes, and bystands, can help decipher the dynamics within a meeting. And by identifying patterns and recognizing missing elements, you can enhance meeting effectiveness. To put this knowledge into action, start by actively observing and documenting these patterns in your meetings. As you become more proficient, you'll not only gain insight into group dynamics, but you'll also learn how to participate in discussions that are more balanced and productive, ensuring that your meetings are engaging and fruitful. Nice work, meeting makers. Keep this up and let's make your meetings work. This podcast was written by Lauren Green and produced by Caitlin Murray. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few seconds to rate and review so future meeting makers can find our community. Download a visual summary of this episode in the description and be sure to join the conversation in our Meeting Makers Facebook group. You can find our next Meeting Makers Academy workshop on our website at www.makemeetings.work forward slash academy. Want help with your next meeting? reach out at makemeetings.work forward slash contact and we'll set up time to chat.